Just when I guessed you could not sink any lower, you're listening to the Rish Outcast. Well, you've kind of made your bed, haven't you? I picked up that something of it I could still try to make Okay, folks, as always, I'm driving back from the cabin and I was trying to think of something to talk about. And I was here, I was at the, the cabin two weeks ago and during the day, I was sitting on the couch, and I was reading. I was reading my library book. And I guess that there was a burst of wind outside, but the front door just swung slowly open. And because I was sitting on the couch, I couldn't see the doorway. I could only see the door opening. And for a moment there, I was just like, hello? You know... <laughs> This is how we answer the door in my neighborhood. Who is it? Sorry. I find, I stood up and I looked and it, was, it had just been the wind. You know, it, 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 it was the Grim Reaper. And I was like, oh my gosh, where have you been? Do you know how long ago you were due? And, you know, I sort of laughed about it and I went and I closed the door and made sure it was tightly closed. And then I thought... What if that had happened in the middle of the night, in the dark? I could have been asleep. The door makes a creaking sound as it opens. It's a high-pitched squeak of the hinges. So it's very likely that it would have woken me up. But what if it hadn't? (laughs) Just the idea of the door opening in the middle of the night is freaky. And I I am afraid of a lot of things. And most of the things I am afraid of are nonsensical. You know, something showing up at the door. I've, I've talked multiple times about, I like to go out on the, the deck up. <laughs> I used to like to go out on the lower deck and look up at the stars. But I couldn't stand being out there by myself in the dark. I felt so helpless and my imagination would just go nuts. And so I started going up to the third floor and stepping out on the deck to look at the stars up there. It's a safer place. It's a safer environment because it's 20 feet up. Nobody could possibly get to me up there. But it's still scary. It's still an alien place, you know, of darkness and shadow and noise and life. And just last week, I went out on the deck and there was an owl hooting. And it's, it's a very melancholy, scary sound. But it wasn't the terrifying sound. Was it just last year where I heard the owl go, whoo, 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 whoo. Maybe that was like 2019 or something like that. But it felt like it was just last year. And I was like, that's not an animal. That's a person. Or something worse. Sometimes my imagination will just get away from me. And I'll imagine looking down onto the ground and seeing someone standing there. And it's never like a mutated, crazed hillbilly. It's never like a guy who said, I read your blog. You said voting by mail was a good thing. It's always like something undead or a witch or just some woman dressed all in white that doesn't have any eyes in her sockets or something like that that I imagine that I see. It's just pretend stuff. And maybe that's a good thing. I remember when I was a little kid going to stay at my grandmother's house and there had been a serial killer who had preyed on children. He was a child molester slash murderer and he had uh, 
terrorized this part of the country until he was eventually caught and put to death. So <laughs> I just spent the last minute trying to remember what the name of the killer was. When that doesn't matter, the point is that my grandmother was really freaked out about it and in her broken English was trying to explain to me the danger of all this. And, and she had built it up in her head like old people do that watch Fox News now or, or you know, where the intention is to stir up the viewing audience to be uh, terrified about something, something that was is coming, something, you know, the, the, the kids eating Tide Pods, uh, critical race theory, you know, these, these kind of things, uh, groomers, that's the, 2022 was the year of them talking about groomers. Um, you know, they, they come up with these boogeymen and their job is to make people afraid of those things. And that was what my grandmother was doing for me. And yeah, I just, I was a kid who was afraid of monsters. I was not afraid of molesters or any of that stuff. Those kind of threats are, are banal. I mean, please don't get me wrong. I recognize that those are terrible threats and they are real threats, whereas monsters aren't so much. But I'm, I guess I'm just saying that for some reason, my personal fear had always been more esoteric, more supernatural, you know? And last night I was editing audio or, or trying to write. I can't remember what, probably neither of those things. And a bird flew against the glass of the window that was one away from me. It wasn't the one right behind my head, but it was, it thumped it. I almost hit the glass just now to show you what it sounded like. But the fear of what if I broke out my window in doing that, it, it stayed my hand. Maybe I have matured a little bit because I thought before I acted. Anyway, that sound scared me. Look, it would scare anybody. Even like somebody who had been in combat or something, a sudden loud bang right by you, it startles you. It, it, it is a scary thing. Because it was just sudden. And then I went out and I, I looked and, and the bird was sort of shaking off the, oh, wh what, have, what have I done? kind of thing. And then when it saw me, it, it just, it took off. It flew away. It, it didn't fly perfectly. I could, it, it had hurt itself by flying into the window, but I was a greater threat than the pain that it was in. And I, you know, I get that. I don't, I feel like I'm going to go off on a tangent, a different tangent, but this isn't a different tangent. Same day today. Oh, well, that was yesterday. Today, uh, I looked out the, the window while I was reading and there were two fawns. There were two baby deer just right on the side of the house, like so close that if I walked up to the window, I couldn't see them anymore. But a few feet away from the window, I could see them. And so I very quietly went to the door with my camera because I wanted to get a picture to show you know, they've got these two fawns just right there, like not close enough to pet, but close enough. If you were sitting on the deck, you could pet them. And, you know, that door goes. And one of the two fawns looked up the way that they do. And, and part of me was just like, hey, don't, don't, don't freak out. It's just me. I, I mean, you no harm. But the other part was just like, hey, calm the F down. But they can't. That is how they stay alive. Deer are prey animals and they can't afford to just shrug off any potential threat. Anyway, uh, it looked at me and it was just frozen and I was able to admire the beauty of the animal for a moment, but eventually its companion, the second fawn, noticed that I was there and the second it 
saw me. It was just like, go, 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 danger, danger. And it took off. And when it took off, the other one took off. It was just instinct, you know. If one moves, you move because it knows something bad is out there that you don't know. Just trust. And I, 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 I spoke to them. I was just like, hey, guys, guys, I'm no threat to you. I'm your friend. I, you know, I, I would get a pan of water and put it out there for you guys to drink. I am not a threat to you. But they were having none of it. I am, you know, a killer. And so, you know, I, I, I consoled myself with that. It's just like, look, even though I was not a personal threat to them, they were afraid of me and they got the heck out of there. And I was reminded of the yellow jackets that have been buzzing around the cabin. This is today. I was reminded that I see them every single time I come and I, I have no idea where they're coming from. I asked my brother, is it, is there a hole somewhere that they're coming through? And he says, no, I think they probably have a nest somewhere. I was like in the cabin. And it just, it, it scared me. It freaked me out a little bit. And I swatted one today at the window and I swatted another one yesterday at the window. And I thought, even though those wasps are not a threat to me, they were not behaving hostily toward me. I am afraid of them. I fear them. And so I understand how these deer feel about me. And, and, and it's a little bit of a stretch, but... Later on, about uh, two o'clock in the afternoon, there was a, a yellow jacket and it was buzzing around the window. And so I got up to get the fly swatter out. I am, I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was in the wrong if you want to be that one of those kind of people. But it started to buzz in a very threatening way. And for some reason, I was freaked out and it was, it was buzzing around me, but I didn't know where it was. And I started to swing the fly swatter, hoping that I could hit it out of this, the air. And I, I, I started to panic because where was it? I could hear it. It's right by me, but I don't see it. Where is it? And so I thought I got to get the F out of here. And so I, I ran out of the room and I could still hear it buzzing. So I ran up the stairs. I could hear it following me up the stairs. Buzz, 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 buzz. I got upstairs and discovered it was on my shirt and it crawled up my shirt, got on my neck and stung me in the neck. And I had what can only be re referred to as a panic attack. I freaked out. I went into the bathroom and slammed the bathroom door and sat down on the toilet and my heart was hammering and my hairs were standing on end and I was feeling this sensation of things crawling all over me, even though the wasp was no longer on me, but I thought that it, it, why it might be. It, it took probably more than a minute for my heart rate to, it was hammering. I, I was gasping and I, I, I was freaked out and I'm pretty sure it was just nerves. It was not that I had an allergic reaction to the yellow jacket sting, although maybe I did. Once I had calmed myself down, I opened the bathroom door still afraid that it would be out there. And I went outside, uh, I got some dirt and I just rubbed it on my neck where it had stung me. That's something that my grandmother had taught me when I was a little kid and I got stung by a wasp. As she had said, you put mud on it and it will ease the pain or something. And uh, years later, I stepped on a bee with my bare foot one time and it stung me right on the under the the arch of my foot and the first thing i did was i get got some dirt and put it there on the bottom of my foot i 
maybe it's psychological, but it was instant relief. Anyway, I did have a big swelling there where it stung me and it, it turned pink, or at least it was pink once I washed the mud off like a half hour later. But the yellow jacket was only an inch long, if that. And yet I was so scared of it. I suppose that's natural. I suppose that's understandable, right? I wrote a story last night about the, that was inspired by the, the bird flying into the window. And, uh, you know, if I were a better writer, and by better, I mean more dedicated writer, because better is relative. If I were a more dedicated writer, I would write up something about the yellow jacket too. I, it, it wasn't a huge deal. It shouldn't have been, at least. But I've been talking about it for 15 minutes now. And we all have things, I think, we all have things that we are afraid of that are not logical. That are not, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the word, maybe likely to occur to us, you know? Like the white-faced woman with no eyes that's standing watching me in the cabin. That's never going to happen. Uh, but it's scary to me anyway. And certain bugs, certain reptiles, uh, fear of sharks, fear of enclosed places, fear of somebody's toothpaste having worms in it. You know, everybody has something irrational that they are afraid of. And I, I told you years ago when I first started the outcast about my friend Jeff's fear of moths. He is just, I don't get it, but he is afraid of moths like I was afraid of that yellow jacket. And yet when I see moths in the cabin, I always catch them and release them outside because I want them to live. I like moths. Where did Jeff's phobia come from? You know, I got stung as a little boy by a wasp, and so it's only natural that I am afraid of wasps. My mom, uh, her family, when they moved from Mexico to the United States, they all stayed, and, and I didn't know this. I thought it, they had stayed there for months or like a year or something like that. They had stayed for like a week at an empty house that uh, family said that they could stay in until they could find a place. And according to my Uncle Sam and to my, my mom, it was just infested with cockroaches, like so many cockroaches. And Uncle Sam said that you turned on the light and the floor would be dark and then it would become light with them just running, you know, they, they ran, but there were that many of them. And, and that's something that really upsets my mom and certainly upsets my Uncle Sam all these years later. I mean, we are talking 60 years later, more than that. But I don't think that that is an irrational fear, the cockroach thing. It's something from his formative time that he can't shake. You know, my, my grandmother being terrified that there were Gary Gilmores out there or or whoever the guy was. I, I'm not even going to try and remember what his name was. I already cut out a part where I was trying to remember the guy's name. That wasn't an irrational fear. Although to me, to me as a little boy who lived in a tiny town, a farming community, very, very far from where she lived, where this kind of stuff happened, it, it seemed like an irrational fear. I was afraid of ghosts. And I remember when I was very little, they would sometimes have me come and stay with my grandmother. And I would say, I'm, I, I'm afraid to stay in the room with her because she snores. And my dad said, well, that's where you want to stay because her snoring scares away all the ghosts. It's a, a, a lovely anecdote. I, I may have told it at my dad's funeral. 
But as a little boy, I was just like, there are ghosts, you know, that kind of thing. We, we have things that we are afraid of, and sometimes it makes sense, and sometimes it doesn't. And I don't usually do this on my show, but if you wanted to mention in the comments something that you're afraid of that, that doesn't have a basis, a, a logical basis in your childhood, or you know, I, I think that that would be interesting. Interesting is also relative. I've been talking, and I think that this is a subject worth going over. And I really enjoyed it when Big and I would talk about this sort of thing on Doonstein. Because I knew there were people listening. I knew that uh, there were other people with, with different fears. And he has different life experience. He has different people that he has encountered. Something that he's always told me is that his wife is a, a light sleeper. And that a lot of times when he comes home from work late at night, she is already asleep. And he tries to sneak into the bedroom without waking her up. And I was just like, oh, that's nice of you. And he's like, well, it's not that so much as if I wake her up, she gasps and comes awake terrified and I said oh my gosh why and he says I have no idea why but she always does it I'll walk in the room and trip over something so I make a noise and she goes <gasps> you know sits up in bed afraid of hollow-eyed ghosts or, or, or something and um, I love to hear big stories about this because it is alien to me. It's outside of my experience. The last time that I did not sleep alone, I remember when, when she'd like move at night, it would always bring me awake because I was so used to having no one there in my bed, you know. Um, the things that scare me and the things that scare you are different. And I, I've spoken many, many times because I like to write horror stories that when I was a teenager, my buddy Dennis and I would say, wouldn't it be scary if? And we would try and freak each other out. And that sort of thing is a blast. I, you know, I don't have a Dennis in my life anymore. And so, like the idea of you know, I was stung by the yellow jacket. I ran into the bathroom, slammed the door behind me. I'm very lucky <laughs> that it didn't follow me in there, that it wasn't still on my shirt. The shirt thing, I didn't realize. I just heard it buzzing and buzzing. And no matter where I went, I couldn't get away from it. And then only when I stopped and it crawled up my shirt, did I realize that it had been on me the whole time. And my panic exacerbated the situation. It stirred it up, you know? And so what if I had hidden myself in the bathroom and calmed myself down and thought, you know, yes, it's possible that that insect is still out there, but I've got to go out and try and kill it. I've got to, for my own peace of mind, I have to find it and either spray it or swat it so that it doesn't sting me again. And I open the door and there's a five foot yellow jacket on the ceiling there buzzing. And you know, when it, it, it vibrates its wings, it's almost deafening. It's this high pitch. And I can feel the wind of it. It's so big. That's, that's creepy, but it's not something that I am as scared of as that damn thing being on my neck today. I'm not sure that I could write a good story about the five foot yellow jacket. I, if, if you said I had to, I, I probably could write a story about it, but would it be any good? 
Who knows? <laughs> I'll probably end up telling the wasp story again later. I remember my brother got stung a couple of times and I'm trying to remember where he was. He went somewhere and I feel like he was spraying a nest and they came after him and he had several stings like on his arms and, and stuff like that. I only had one sting, so it could have been way, way worse. Anyway, what are you afraid of? And uh, why? Hey, I haven't done a tale of eBay horror for a long time. So I thought, well, actually, I did one back in June and I never used it. I guess I could stick it in a future episode. And you would never know that it's from way back in June because those things are evergreen. But I just had an experience and I thought that I would waste your time with it. So I sold, uh, there was a three-pack of comic books that I sold that was still sealed from when it came out in 1977. Uh, I sold it to a guy and sent it to him, and he opened a not-as-described dispute because he opened the bag and the comics weren't what he thought that they would be. Now, I suppose he thought that I was lying or tricking him or whatever, but they were unopened for 40 years, for however long it's actually been, 45 years. And he wanted his money back. And I contacted eBay support, which I never do, because normally when people want a refund or whatever, it's just like, all right, that's the price of doing business. But I, I, I got on the chat with a, an eBay representative and I said, hey, listen, the whole value of these three comic books are that they were still sealed from the three-pack bag from Grand Central or Fred Meyer or whatever place existed in, in 1977 that doesn't anymore. Once you've opened them, the, the value is, is, is gone. And the guy said, oh, you know, no worries. We, I see you've done business with us for all these years. We'll, we'll take care of you. The problem is you have to wait three days before you can ask us to step in. And I said, so what do I need to do? And he said, three days from now, just come and ask us to step in. There's a little thing that you can click and uh, we will take care of it. And I said, oh, well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you in three, three days. And I said, do I need to ask for you specifically? And they said, no, whoever is working the chat at the time can help you. I said, wow, that's great. And so uh, I forgot about it. I got an email from them saying, you know, we understand that you contacted us. Here's a transcript of your chat. And... Two days went by, not three days, two days went by and I got an email from eBay saying, you didn't respond to this guy's dispute and so he not only gets his money back, but he gets to keep the item that you sold him. This was late at night when I got this email. The next day was the day that I had been told to contact eBay, have them step in. So it was a day before I had been told to do this. They gave summary judgment. Now, if you're me in the future and you're hearing me say this, or if you're you, so that pretty much rules no one out. I'm sure you're thinking, well, why didn't you respond to the guy and say, you know, eBay is going to take care of this or whatever. I don't have an answer for that except for that I had spoken to them and they told me what to do and I was following their instructions. But as far as the automatic process of a dispute goes, I hadn't said anything for two days and so I guess I forfeited my claim and they made summary judgment. But there is the option to appeal a decision like that and so I immediately appealed and said, look, I, I, you know, I, spot, I spoke to Alejandro on 
this day. And he told me that in three days I could ask eBay to step in. Uh, you sent me a transcript of my conversation with him, and I checked it just to make sure. And tomorrow is the day that he said, I need to step in, but you have already refunded this guy's money. It just doesn't seem right. And I hit send, and the next morning I woke up. So, so not even eight hours passed, you know, seven hours, however long it was. I woke up and there was an email that said, we reviewed your appeal and we have decided to find in favor of the buyer. We didn't give a reason. I feel like it was a, an arbitrary thing, like an automatic thing, like they didn't read the transcript or there would at least have been an explanation. You know, I, I wanted something. I wanted, even if it was something as pathetic as not all of our customer service uh, employees know our policies and what he told you was wrong. But it wasn't that. It was nothing. We just found in favor of the buyer. And that tells me nothing has changed with eBay. And it, it, it upset me because now he, the guy even gets to keep the item. So I can't recoup anything by selling those three comics loose, you know? It just, it, 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 it was a, an, well, you know what? I'm not going to talk about it anymore. It, it, it upset me. And it would upset you. But I didn't let it ruin my life or anything like that. These things happen. And I've been scragged so many times, I ought to make a YouTube series about it. But anyhow, fate, karma, whatever you want to call it, thought that it would step in and try and help me out to help rebalance the scales in some way. So, you know, it's just little things, but this was all yesterday. Uh, I went to the gas station to get a soda and, uh, you know, I'd counted up my change and brought it in and I, it was my turn at the register. I knew exactly how much uh, I owed him. And he said, uh, hey, just have a nice day. And I said, what? And he said, you know, it's free. Just have a nice day. And I said, why? And he says, I'm having a problem with my register right now. So just, uh, it's cool. And I said, you know, I brought the money. Here you go. And so I gave it to him. That was one. Uh, and I had to go up to the city for a COVID test. While I was there, we went to the toy trade, my cousin and I, that they have at the toy store up there. I, I don't get up there very often, but since I was already there for the test, I figured, why not? I had mentioned on Facebook that I had a couple of boxes uh, from San Diego Comic-Con from years ago that were just taking up space, and they had dust on them. Uh, if somebody wanted them, uh, I would bring them. And so while I was there... One of the guys recognized me and he said, are you the guy that has the subway set from San Diego Comic-Con? And I said, yeah. And he says, how much do you want for it? And I said, I, I don't know, a dollar, two dollars. And he said, dude, you know how much these go for, right? And I said, yeah, but they're really big and they're not doing me any good. And he says, hey, I, I don't have any money. And I said, well, uh, he says, hey, look, I can PayPal you the two dollars. And I said, no, nah, you know, just Merry Christmas. And I gave it to the guy for free. And as that guy was walking out, another guy saw what he had and he'd heard the conversation. And he said, wow, I can't believe you gave that guy that for free. And I gave him the same explanation of, you know, it would cost me like $20 to ship it. And so, you know, it's just not worth it to me to try and find a box that big. And then I said, do you want one? And he goes, what, you, you got another one? And I said, yeah, I brought two. I'll go grab it. And so I, I went and I grabbed a second one. And he goes, hey, uh, $2, you said? I'll Venmo you. And I said, hey, I don't have Venmo. Here you go. So that, that was the third one. You know, people had tried to give me money. And I said no three times. And so uh, the fourth one was there was a guy. Uh, he had a little booth full of garbage toys. But he was a nice guy. I talked to everybody for a while. It was my attempt to be sociable. Um, so a lot of times toy collectors are not the most socially adept people. I'm one of them, so you know I should know. 
But I talked to this guy and he seemed cool and he had an old Spider-Man figure from like 94 or 95 that is, it's trash. It's, it's garbage. But I thought, well, my nephew would like this because he loves Spider-Man. But all the modern Spider-Man stuff is really expensive. And for a reason, it's really expensive. Spider-Man is insanely popular. He's, he just turned 60, but you wouldn't know it with that physique. So I asked the guy, you know, how much uh, for that, for that old Toy Biz Spider-Man. And he said, $30. And I was like, oh. And I explained, yeah, I just wanted to get something for the five-year-old because he breaks everything. And he, I, I don't want him to play with my expensive figures. And he goes, oh, oh, here you go. I, I got something. And he, he had an old Marvel Select Spider-Man, which is a perfectly cromulent figure. And I said, oh, what do you want for it? And he goes, oh, it's free. And I said, no, no, I got to give you something for it. And so I showed him the toys that I had brought and said, you know, wanna, do you want to trade for this? <laughs> so that was number four. That was the fourth option of, of karma trying to, to, to balance the scales. And I, I'm probably the best example was that there was a guy... And in his booth, he had the Marvel Select Mephisto figure. And it's an incredibly rare figure. And I said, oh, my gosh, wow, that's, that's rad. And he said, well, it used to be. I, I think they've re reissued it a couple of times. And I said, no, no, they haven't. That thing's worth a fortune. And I... <laughs> he wanted $40 for it. And... I should have just said, I want it. I want my, I, I want that. I call dibs on it. And I didn't. And my cousin ended up getting it for $40. And out of the package, loose, you can get between $170 and $200 for him. But this one was in the package after all these years. That was, again, karma trying to say, hey, you got ripped off. We'll help you out. And I said no again. Bah. All right. I was never able to get the actual quote. I tried and tried and tried. So here's me as Tangina. Now clear your minds. It knows what scares you. It has from the very beginning. Don't give it any help. It knows too much already. So, as usual, this episode... Maybe I shouldn't say as usual. Half of my episodes are way, way, way too long. I think anyone would agree. Although if you don't, cool. But as has been the case recently, this episode was too short. And in trying to decide what to call the episode... I thought of a line in Poltergeist where Zelda Rubenstein's character, Tangina, <laughs> uh, is it Tangina Barrett or something like that is her name? She's telling Joe Beth Williams that she needs to concentrate, that she needs to focus on her love for her child, but she warns her to be careful because it knows what scares you. And I'm not sure if that's supported by the rest of the movie. I mean, Robbie is clearly afraid of the clown doll, right? And it makes the clown come to life and try and murder him. Oh, Robbie is afraid of the tree. That tree, it knows I live here. And it makes the tree come to life and try and eat him. Uh, there's the guy eating the fried chicken, and it makes maggots appear there, right? And, like, the steak has tumors or something going on with it. The guy, is it the same guy that looks in the mirror, and he starts tearing the flesh from his face? I think it's fair to say, okay, this is evidence to say that the evil of the house is preying on the fears of the people within it. Now, it doesn't apply to Carol Ann because 
it's trying to take Caroline. It's trying to tempt Caroline. It's trying to hold a piece of cheese or a carrot in front of the girl uh, and get her to come join it. Join us. But, <laughs> that was a tangent. I've always liked that. I think, I, I, I believe at some point the tagline for Poltergeist was going to be, it knows what scares you. But early on in the ad campaign, either when they were cutting the trailer or when people were watching the movie, I, I'm assuming that they test screened it. People really latched on to Carolan. Hello? Okay, I talked to you. But people really responded to Carolan saying, They're here. And I think that became the de facto tagline of the movie. And when they made the sequel, I, I believe the t- the tagline there was, they're back. And it was all over the, the ad campaign there. What year was Poltergeist 2? 84? I'm not sure. I didn't see Poltergeist 2 in the theater. I didn't see Poltergeist 1 in the theater. I didn't see Poltergeist 3 in the theater. Keep going. But I did see the trailer for Poltergeist 2, The Other Side. And it was a teaser trailer where they shot footage specifically for the trailer, and it ends with, I think, a toy phone and a little hand picking up the phone, and and then Carol Ann says, they're back. And I remember there being laughs in the audience of of people that are like, oh my gosh, they made a second one. Very cool. Anyway, (laughs) I'm just padding out the runtime, aren't I? I got a phone call a minute ago. I was still recording. I'm in the car. And I considered just leaving the phone call in. It's like, well, that'll make the episode long. Sometimes I'll get a call and I'll talk to Big and I'll think, this might be interesting for people to listen to. Just the way that we talk to each other when we're not, you know, on. When we're not podcasters. He uh, is coming to visit next week and I want us to get together and go on a hike and eat together and record some episodes but the past has taught me that there's never enough time for all those things there's the things that he's come to do and that takes priority and then there's the obligations he has on top of that then whatever time is left we got and it sounds like he really wants to go on some kind of hike, which is cool. Maybe we'll take some pictures. I like to hike. I haven't gone on a hike. I think I've gone on one this whole year, back in May. And um, that's it. Anyway, you know, the Pennywise the Clown in Stephen King's book, It, really, really played on that theme of it knows what scares you. And... It chose a different form for each of the children that it terrorized. It it was something specific to them. I think the, the film was fairly faithful to that. I guess, you know, that's a very, that's kind of a classic idea of the boogeyman or something that can take the form of what you're most afraid of in a way Freddy Krueger taps into that as well. I, it's hard to say because the Freddy character mutated as the movies went on, becoming different things depending on what they wanted with the character. But the core idea of Freddy tapping into your fears and exploiting them uh, is a really solid one. And I remember probably my favorite thing in Freddy versus Jason was that when Freddy went into Jason Voorhees' dream, Jason was no longer this, you know, seven foot tall, monstrous behemoth. He was a little, frightened, misshapen child 
who didn't know how to swim. He was afraid of the water. And I, I heard from somebody really recently, like, like August of 2023, say, oh, yeah, that's so stupid. Jason's not afraid of nothing. And I was just like, I think that that's pretty profound, actually, that somewhere deep inside Jason, he still has this fear because he drowned as a child. It's, it's not perfect. And certainly that movie wasn't perfect. But I liked that idea. It, it, it was thoughtful. You know? The idea of something, knowing what you are personally afraid of, so that they can press those buttons, is really cool. Really an interesting idea. And I have no doubt that people will continue to play with that idea for years to come. And so uh, we're getting very, very close to the end of the episode. But before we go, <laughs> I talked to my friend Jeff. He was in Scotland. And, oh, this is interesting. So his wife signed up to go on this sewing retreat. You know, like Marshall and Abby. You mean the Marshall? And I have talked about doing like a writer's retreat where you get together for a few days and you, you're around like-minded people and you're there to write. Jeff's wife is on something just like that, but for knitting, for, for people who are able to make things out of yarn. And that is in Scotland. And, and it was on an island in Scotland. And so Jeff and his wife got on a plane to... Aberdeen and then I feel like they took a ferry or something out to this island <laughs> and then Jeff was told only the people who are part of the retreat can stay in this Airbnb or this manor house or wherever the sewing conference was going to be and so he ended up having to get a hotel room by himself for a week in Scotland and he had very, very little to do other than walk around, read books and occasionally talk to me. And so I talked to him a lot. And at one point I told him about the wasp, the yellow jacket stinging me. And Jeff says, you know, I don't think I've ever been stung by any of those. I don't have any fear of those at all. You know, in my opinion, if you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone. And uh, yeah. that was heartwarming to hear. <laughs> but it prompted me to ask, Jeff, so what the hell is the origin of your fear of moths? And he says, I've never told you. I said, no, I just thought you were insane. And he said, when I was about seven or eight years old, uh, I was riding my bike and a moth flew into my mouth and I freaked out. I wrecked on my bike. You know, I didn't know what it was. Oh. <laughs> Turns out it had been a moth that did that. And I, and I, I remember the dust being on my tongue and the roof of my mouth and I, I couldn't get it out no matter how much I spat. And, I, and, and ever since then, I have been deathly afraid of moths. And I thought, all right, fair enough. I still think it's irrational. I still love moths myself. But at least now we can understand. Sometimes you have these experiences in your formative years, and there's no sidestepping it. You are afraid of what you're afraid of, or you have a fetish for what you have a fetish for. You know, everywhere I go, people disdain me for not liking chocolate. And I've made the effort to explain to people why I don't like chocolate before. And when I bother to tell them the story, they go, oh, well, I mean, you're still a f***tard. But now I understand a little bit more. <laughs> there we go. I appreciate you listening all the way, scaredy cats. It means a lot to me if you support me on Patreon. But if, if not, if you can't do that, it means something to me when you 
send me a message when you comment, you know, that sort of thing. But that's it. You have a great day. I've been Rashad Field, and uh, buzz off. Once again, we have reached the end of the Rish Outcast. And once again, I have been press-ganged into telling you it was produced under a Creative Commons 3.0 no-derivatives license. But no longer. No more shall I explain that you may download and share the file as much as you like, but cannot claim it as your own, alter it, or try futilely to make a quid or two from it. And this will be the last time I urge you to support Rish and my Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash Rish Outfield, where you not only get episodes early, but get exclusive podcasts like the monthly rambling addresses or when Rish spouts rubbish about a song he once heard. And now that that's out of the way, I am headed for the door. Ah... Sweet freedom. This part of the country until he was eventually caught and put to death. Uh, I think he got the, the uh, lethal injection. Not sure. <laughs> Could it have been Gary Gilmore? He was the one that got firing squad and said, let's just do it. Um, well, leave that part in. But, but who cares? It doesn't matter. Uh, when Freddie went into Jason Voorhees' dream, Jason was this little, misshapen, mongoloid child afraid of water. And Oh, I, I, we're not supposed to say that, are we? I, do I cut that out? Better safe than sorry, right? That's it. Jesus. I'm going 80. This guy's going, what, 120? Okay, enough. Uh, was that an outtake? I think that was an outtake. <laughs>